The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Welcome to another TMPT feature series, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. I am JP John Paz, and this week on the show, we're bringing in none other than Greg Oliver, who we actually are welcoming back to the show. He was on the show a few years ago and did a great, great job promoting one of his many, many books and his many projects that he's working on, but this week in particular this episode this interview in particular he is focusing on the storytellers book part of the pro wrestling hall of fame series both himself and the legendary stephen johnson are a part of writing this great book and if you've seen the book you've probably recognized the cover of omega and jericho but of course maurice tlet aka shrek is also on the, the side pocket and you'll see a lot of great stuff if you just end up looking at the book but it's part of the pro wrestling hall of fame series it is called The Storytellers, and it is one hell of a book. I love Greg's books. I mean, you really really have to be um, crazy not to love his books. I mean, he's such a great wrestling historian. He does such a good job. He is so detailed. He really, really knows his stuff. And just talking to him in the interview, you can tell, like, man, this guy knows his stuff. He He's not, you know, faking it. He's not um, putting BS or he's not filling up word counts. He is doing awesome research, awesome interviews, and putting his heart and soul into these books. And if you're a hardcore fan or a casual fan, you will love his books. You will love his series of books. He's got a ton of them out there. I just love this one because it just goes in depth into, you know, talk a little 
current storytelling. Um, you know, we'll talk a little old school, and then we'll go somewhere in between. So he really kind of runs the gamut and really talks about a lot of different guys in the business, whether they be the heels, the faces, uh, you know, basically a myriad of great wrestlers and great storytelling, kind of what it takes to be a great storyteller, whether it be a Brock Lesnar, who may be not your traditional storyteller, or it could be a different storyteller, like a Chris Jericho or like a Kenny Omega, who may do it in a completely different way, in a completely different fashion. So I love kind of getting that into that with Greg and really kind of talking about the ins and outs of the wrestling business as far as the storytelling aspect and how that may be the most important aspect in the wrestling business because storytelling is how you really connect with the audience, how you connect with the fans, and that is paramount. That is the biggest thing you need to be able to do is connect with the audience, connect with the fans, and that's what storytelling is all about. Of course, if you look back at the other you know, excuse me, the other books in the series of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the Canadians, the tag teams, the heels, heroes and icons, all great books that I highly, highly recommend you checking out from Greg Oliver from ECW Press. And, of course, I highly, highly, highly recommend you get his newest book, and that is called The Storytellers. acclaimed author, editor, producer, stay-at-home dad, and of course, this week on the show, we are talking about Storytellers, his newest book. Welcome back to the show, Greg Oliver. Greg, welcome back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thanks, John. I appreciate you having me back on the show. We've got lots to talk about. Yeah, and of course, like I just mentioned, the new book, Storytellers, from a Terrible Turk to Twitter part of the acclaimed Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame series. Of course, you and Steve Johnson, you guys always have some great, great books, and you're such a great author. But what is this book all about? Obviously, we know by the cover you see Omega giving uh, Jericho the knee trigger, but what is the book Storytellers all about? Well, it it started sort of because Steve and I, you know, I had done the Canadians, and Steve reached out and said, hey, how about we do something together? And that led to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the tag teams, and then that led to the heels, and that led to Heroes and Icons. And what we realized after all that is like, man, we got a lot of stuff. What are we going to do with all this extra stuff? 
And so that started us down a road to, well, let's build something. And then eventually it sort of morphed, and, and we thought we'd be using just the interviews we had. But, of course, we ended up doing another couple hundred interviews. And what we the result is the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the, the storytellers from the Terrible Turk to Twitter. And it tries to tell the story of pro wrestling from basically its inception in the 1890s when they really started doing worked matches. So don't let anyone fool you if they're trying to convince you that uh, wrestling was still real in the 30s, because it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, then right through to, uh, as you mentioned, like uh, Kenny Omega sharing his thoughts on how storytelling should be done and how he doesn't like the constraints that, you know, some places like WWE wanted to put on him. He wanted to be able to tell his own stories his way. And so he talks about that. But in between, there's, oh, there's midgets. There's bears, there's ladders, there's smelt matches, like actually wrestling in smelts. Like there's so much crazy stuff. Uh, pro wrestling is, is rich for this kind of uh, treatment for sure. Man, through the years, whew, so many different storytellers. You know what's interesting? I was recently talking to Black Bart, and he was telling me how in the 30s, that's when they, they started having work matches. So he, he even, you know, veteran of the business for 30 years, even believed that there was work matches only started in the 30s well that's the popular conception and i understand why but it's also when wrestling first started getting a lot more scrutiny right in the 1930s you had so many more newspapers you had guys like um jim londis especially like he mm-hmm. like he can't downplay his importance we listed him as the number one um hero of all time he was an iconic figure he was the babe ruth of pro wrestling and I, that's a way that most people generally understand because they understand Babe Ruth meant a lot. Well, you know, Jim Londis meant a ton, too, because he was the first real immigrant star. Babe Ruth was, you know, Baltimore born and bred. And you had guys like, you know, Jack Dempsey. He has his own, you know, stories from growing up in America, whereas, you know, uh, Jim Londis had come in from, you know, Greece and became a star, building his own life. And so a lot of immigrants really took to that story naturally. Now, obviously, I mentioned Omega and Jericho on the cover, and that's more the, the current-day wrestling. Do you find that current-day wrestling and being the storytellers they are, do you find that it's almost, I don't want to say a negative on the biz, but is it almost too different than what old-school fans are used to and, and kind of yourself being a historian? Is it almost too different than what you're used to? Uh, it's different, but I've I've learned to accept it a lot more than, than some of the um, grumpy old guys maybe do. Mm. Um, the fact is that it's it's television, and it's even more television than it used to be. Like that's the the thing that really has always driven the business uh, was advances in technology, and and we address that too in the book. So we go in in my section on um, on TV. Uh, we have this section on TV. So I talked to um, well Steve profiles like the early early days of television and that then we move on to uh, world-class championship wrestling and bill mercer was the announcer well bill mercer actually called wrestling on the radio growing up in oklahoma when he was just a young you know reporter slash you know broadcaster Mm -hmm. and so he's calling him on there and then so he goes in the television works with fritz von Erich, world-class and he's there as handheld television you know cameras begin and so initially the wrestlers hated it 
They didn't want any part of this. It's going to make it look awful. And sure enough, they realized that those handheld cameras brought the realism even more to the fans watching at home. So through the storytelling of, you know, Bill Mercer, we're able to learn that story of how that changed things. So even today um, is that pro wrestling has changed a lot for sure, but it's still a television product and it's even more of a desperate television product than ever before. There's, there's a reason that AEW got on Turner's because wrestling is still a destination programming. There's not a lot of that left. Uh, you can watch so much stuff and stream your, your Game of Thrones or whatever it may be at your own leisure. But pro wrestling is one of the things that's still, to a degree, uh, I'd say, uh, destination programming. So uh, the changes in technology are just as important as what we're watching on the screen because they dictate things. It's the same thing with, um, well, just the, the HDTV, right? And how the, the initially we heard the same thing, right? WWE fans or WWE wrestlers didn't want to be hd well now you can't imagine life without it right right yep and it's interesting that you go so far back and and you, you know you really kind of study the evolution of the business and we're talking about how much to change and and being so kind of different than than what it was and even talking about how people didn't know if it was a work match or not do you think that I mean, you think it always needs to change, or is it kind of one of those things where what's old is new again? Like the old time storytelling can kind of come back and still be over because we haven't seen it in so long. It has to be a product of the times, and you know the the stories they were telling in the in the fifties and the early days of television had to be very black and white. So you had to have good guys and bad guys because, again, back to the immigrant idea. You know, you had the the babushkas and the little Italian grandmas watching TV when it first came to people's homes in black and white. And they had to figure out what was happening without understanding the language. So you had very broad strokes there. And then, you know, in general, that sort of models TV, too. You think of I I Love Loosely and and some of the the broad comedy that went on there. Well, it's, it's a whole different game when you're watching you know, the more sophisticated comedy today, uh, you know, whether it's like Fleabag or Mrs. Maisel that, that are getting all these nominations lately. I mean, it's changed too. So wrestling has to change. It has to keep progressing and, and telling stories in new and challenging ways. And, and I think that's sometimes both a good and a bad thing, right? They don't necessarily know what they need to do, but they know they need to do something. And so with so much TV time to fill they're throwing things at the wall half the time at least that's the way i think about it yeah yep see what sticks right if yeah. something sticks go with it yeah yeah no exactly is, it, is my uh you know pasta done or not now you said you did so many interviews there's you know obviously original counts you got so much unique takes and there's so many different storytelling ideas and, and this and that what do you think is some of the most unique things that we'll find out in the book that maybe people don't necessarily know of Oh, man, I don't even know where to start there. But, but a lot of them are just personal stories, too, right? Like um, talking to a little person, uh, a midget, like Frenchie Lamont, and hearing his story about, you know, being one of uh, six in the family and, his, and you know, growing up with that experience. He's the only little person. And, and learning his experience from start to finish, but, you know, meeting Lord Littlebrook, getting into the business, and how the business changed even his life is fascinating. But so are stories that, that you know, Steve may have dug up, like, uh, uh, about 
these fascinating old timers from the 30s and the 20s and that I didn't know anything about. But whatever it is, it catches your attention. It's like, well, there's a little bit more here than I thought. And so you go down the thread and you start digging and digging and trying to find family members. And, and uh, I, yeah, I, that's such a loaded question, John, because there's so much in the book. And it's really compact yet. Like, that's the other thing is that there's a lot in this book. Um, and, and you'll read it and discover all kinds of things you didn't know. I love how kind of talking about the book, you, you know, you kind of like, yeah, you, you could, we could throw monkeys out there and that'll be a storyline or murderers. It's so, you know, from one end of the spectrum to another, it's like lollygag, jokey stuff to serious you know, crimes and things. I mean, that's the interesting thing about pro wrestling. It almost could be anything. Oh, it is. Yeah. And, and pro wrestling does sort of have to, as we talked about, sort of reflect society to a degree. And so, you know, if, if there's a good murder storyline, well, maybe that can be somehow twisted a little bit to, to be made into, you know, something for the screen. Superheroes are hot. Let's do something related to that. You just don't know what the next thing that's going to break out in pro wrestling. And I think that's, what's, that's what keeps us tuning in. Is right. It's 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 not just the action, and the action's always going to be there. But it's it's trying to find that uh, that magic star, that the next person that you want to go watch, and whether it's a Rhea Ripley right now that that seems to be getting really hot, mm-hmm. uh, and and you wonder whether they're going to screw it up, or um, who's the guy in AEW, MJF? Yeah. Um, you know, like he has breakout written all over him, but can they make it happen? I don't know. That's that's why we tune in. And it's interesting because some guys you think it has written all over them. You know, it just you know this is going to be the guy. It's going to be whatever or the girl. It's going to be this, and then it doesn't quite pan out. It's such a unique business in that way, right? I mean, it's just crazy that some guys you think it's so easy and it's going to be over like Rover, and it just doesn't happen. And then you get another guy. It's like, oh, Steve Austin. Uh, you're not going to you know develop it. I mean, you're a good little hand, and well, and then all of a sudden becomes the biggest star in the business. Absolutely, yeah, no, and I, and that's the magic and. You know, you never know that guy you're going to see at that indie uh, you saw last weekend. Maybe one day he'll be a star. Uh, you you don't know. You just sort of we're along for the journey as fans and and as writers. I mean, that's one of the joys. Is yeah, you do sometimes uh, discover those diamonds in the rough at a local show, and then you, you maybe interview them at that point, and then they become a star, and they they hadn't forgotten. You know, there's this guy called uh, Dwayne Johnson. I did his first wrestling interview. You know, he was standing in the back corner when they introduced, you know, Tiger Ali Singh. And I sidled up to him and started talking, and, yeah, I did his first wrestling interview. You know, you never know. Wow. Did you think, I mean, obviously not to the level he was, but did you think, like, wow, this guy, you know, I think he's going to be something, or did you not even think anything at that point? Well, I mean, he he had a good, he had a look. Like, he had size, right? He was still doing that, you know, he was transitioning from the Flex Cavana to the Rocky Maivia thing. Uh, so he did. He hadn't found any footing yet, and he barely had had any TV time at all. Um, but you know, he was there, and you know, I'm not a shy guy. I'll go up and talk to anybody. So, uh, you know, that's part of the fun of this business and and writing about it. And and the thing about pro wrestlers is they have to promote themselves, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're you're. And I've done you know six hockey books, seven hockey books if you include a kids one, and hockey players don't want to talk about themselves right or they do but they don't right they got to remember it's a team game all this kind of stuff well a pro wrestler is only as good as his last promo the last time he bragged about himself the last time somebody said i want to see that guy wrestle so it's it's everything we're taught not to do right you're supposed to be humble 
You're supposed mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, thank everybody for participating. And yet, wrestling by its very nature, you have to be out there and put yourself over. So The Rock wasn't to that stage yet. He was still transitioning out of, yeah, you know, playing football to to doing that. It is funny, like, thinking about it. It's like I remember I was at uh, Survivor Series 96 and at Madison Square Garden just thinking, like, okay, you know, he didn't get that great of a reaction. It's like, okay, they're obviously trying to push this guy. You know, he's got something about him, but, uh, you know, I don't know about it. You know what I mean? You're thinking, like, oh, uh, you know, Sid and Michaels in the main event, you're more concerned about that or, or Brett versus Austin. And he's kind of like an afterthought. And then now, whew, imagine a fast forwarding 23 years. And now, my God, big, not only the biggest star in wrestling, or one of the biggest, he's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Just crazy to think. And it's pretty awesome he did his first interview. Yeah, well, he's, uh, yeah, it is it is crazy. But, I'm um, you know, I've met the rest of his family, too, at various times. And just sitting down with, with Adam Ivy at a College Rally Club and, you know, just asking those questions, I'd often wondered. You know, it, it's not even something we've ever published. It's just... It's a curiosity that drives a journalist and a writer and a historian that, that you want to learn more. And, and you just sometimes need to be in the right place at the right time with the right person to ask that question. And where did you kind of come up with Blue Meanie? He is such a character, him doing the forward for the book. Where did you kind of think of him from? Because talking about, you know, storytellers, wrestling characters, he is just out there. He's such a nice guy, such a friendly guy. But that character obviously does a lot of parodies, a lot of different things, a lot of different storytelling than some people are used to. But what a great character and what a hell of a guy. Yeah, so Brian uh, Blumini is is indeed a great guy. So essentially, I mean, not to throw anybody under the bus, but I I had a couple other forwards that we were hoping to do, and um, one of whom was very prominent. and, And, you know, at the last second, he sort of said, I can't do it. And so we scrambled. Uh, but, you know, when when I was sitting there at a College Rally Club reunion and Brian was up talking about this kind of thing, right? It was him and Joel Gertner were talking about ECW days uh, for at a, at a panel at the College Rally Club. And I sort of thought to myself, you know, this would be the perfect kind of description for what I need. And to his credit, on the flight home, he basically read through the uh, the early manuscript we had and he by the time he landed he'd sent me a really rough draft of uh what the forward would become and and with a couple of tweaks it was done so he, he's a stand-up guy he came right through and uh he's been out promoting the book too and you know obviously you know you just you look at the book you're like wow terrible turk to twitter stick okay okay and you started like going through like well terrible turk Explain, you know, the, the the storytelling there and kind of where he comes about and, you know, not his influence, so to speak, on the book or anything, but like kind of basically his influence on wrestling, really, and storytelling. Well, that, that was one Steve Johnson wrote. And that's, uh, I mean, that's some of the hard parts of this book is like the guys I did are ingrained and deep in my mind. And the ones he did um, are obviously ones that were near and here to his heart. But the mm-hmm. fact is that, you know, guys like Terrible Turk were getting attention. You know, in a time when it was just newspapers, when it was just word of mouth. And, you know, there's no radio, there's no television. And for a guy like that to gain notoriety and then start, you know, becoming this figure uh, is is remarkable in and of the time. And there weren't a lot of celebrities back then. And he was one that transcended because he captured imagination in a way. And that's it's the same thing when, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin caught our imagination mm-hmm. and ran with it. I mean, there's something about this guy 
and it was his look and it was his uh you know just the the nastiness compared to everybody else that you expected to be sort of your clean cut all american uh you know wrestler so it it was uniqueness and and again that's what we look for often in pro wrestling something's got to set you uh you know put you apart from everybody else yes and i think there's so many different characters through history just start looking like old school wrestling whether it be who you talk about in the book, Maurice Tillet, who basically everyone says was the inspiration for Shrek, and you kind of touch on that in the book as well. I just find like some of these old school characters just so interesting. Not only for like, oh, you got to see him wrestle, you got to see him do that, or or you got to read about what they did or stuff like that. When you see pictures of some of these guys, like my God, they stand out. Like, who is that guy? I want to know who he is, what he did. And, like, just from looking at a picture, that tells a story. And I feel like, especially with Maurice and, and some of these old school guys. That was such the case that it's not really the case today. Yeah, there's some wonderful pictures in the book. Uh, we're really lucky to to know some great photographers and find some great photo collections and 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 mine personal connections too, right? It's the families that that share things sometimes that uh, really are unique. Um, and and that's definitely something that's changed over the years. I mean, the wrestlers we watched growing up, you you still you meet a cowboy Bob Orton or a Jake Roberts or or even a Tito Santana, those are still big men. And, you know, when you're meeting today's wrestlers on the indie circuit, it's like, well, I'm an average guy at six foot, and I tower over some of them. It doesn't mean I'm in as good a shape as they are, and I certainly can't do the bumps and all that kind of stuff. But that mystique, that that sort of magic um, is not always there when you're in person. And that translates to a picture, too. Like, you, you, you and I all know, like, those indie posters you see that have 40 different guys on because they can't figure out who one single guy to spotlight. And uh-huh. you also know when you see them in person that, well, okay, they may look great in that picture, but, you know, they're only five foot two. So, you know, it, it does sort of deflate the mystique, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, and I feel like that's why a guy like Braun Strowman can still kind of get over. Like, oh, he can't do flips. or he can't do But just from sheer size and like, man, this guy just looks like he can kick somebody's ass. Or he just looks like he's somebody. Or, you know, Roman Reigns, he's a, he's a big dude, and especially compared to a lot of these other guys. I mean, he's massive. He's like 6'3", 275. So he's massive compared to some of these guys. So I feel like those guys, the Brock Lesnar's of the world, especially compared to a lot of these guys, it's one of those kind of like almost throwbacks where it's like, all right, these guys just look and storytelling can just be the look of somebody. You know what I mean? They just have that certain appeal, it factor, charisma, whatever you want to say. Storytelling can be told, like you said, just from a picture or a poster. And if they have Strowman or Lesnar or Reigns on a poster, you know, you're going to give it a double take. Yeah, yeah. Of course, they don't really do much with posters anymore. Yeah, not anymore, of course. Yep. It used to be, you know, you poster the town, you promote it, all that kind of stuff. So those days are gone. Yeah, it's much more uh, social media and things like that. But I always find it funny because you said that about the indie guys today. It is kind of like when you see them in person, it's like, wow, I can't believe he's that small. Or you see them walk by a group of people, and it's not like Lex Luger or Ultimate Warrior. Somebody's turning their head like, who is that guy? Who is that from the casual fans? They just think it's a normal, everyday person. So that could be a story within itself. Yeah, well, don't give me any more ideas. We're trying to. We're we're not sure this is the final <laughs> final one, but uh, um, the 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 suspicion is that yeah, it's probably the last one in the series after doing you know the Canadians you know mm-hmm. Canadians, heels heroes and yep. icons. It's it, it it's just about run its course. If we'd started a few years before and some of the guys were still around, you could probably have done a managers, 
you know, but you would have had to talk to Homer Adele and, and gotten more out of Ken Ramey and all these names way from the past that, you know, I've, I've met most of them or at least talked to them, but maybe didn't get them on the record that uh, the way I wish I should have um, or could have. And it, the thing that's so interesting about storytelling in general, especially in this business, when you look at basically the 80s versus everybody else, and I'm talking about the 80s WWF and Vince McMahon, it's sports entertainment versus pro wrestling. Is there a difference, you think, in storytelling as far as pro wrestling and sports entertainment, or in essence, is it the very same thing? I, to me, it's, it, it all comes down to the very end, which is an athletic competition, right? In, mm-hmm. in however they present it, which is what's changed, right? It's like they presented it more comical or they presented it more um, goofy or whatever it is, right? It's just changed through the years. But in the end, it's still, you know, man against man or woman against woman. And that'll never go away. I mean, that goes back to the Egyptians, you know, having those kind of images on, uh, you know, on hieroglyphics, like of guys wrestling. I mean, it, it'll always exist in some degree. Um, which is, again, why pro wrestling sticks with us all these years. What do you think about, and I know you cover it in the book as well, but like sports entertainment in general, are you more of a pro wrestling fan or, or you do kind of side with the, the sports entertainment aspect of the WWE? Um, I don't watch a ton anymore, if I'm being honest. So from that perspective, I, I think whatever it is that, that's lost me, um, probably the time commitment more than anything. Uh, you know, if I, it, there's just too much now. How do you know what to watch? Uh, you, you can't commit all that time. I mean, you got to have a real life. Wrestling is not everything. Uh, I, I know that sounds like sacrilege, but uh, but it is true. You need to get out and see the world sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I'm probably go a little bit more old school, um, but I also recognize, you know, you got to change with the times, and I don't want to be some old fuddy-duddy saying that. Now, I would be remiss, i, mean, I got to mention this, you will be receiving the 2020 James C. Melby Historian Award from the Cauliflower Alley Club. So cool, such an honor. What are your thoughts on getting that prestigious, prestigious award? Well, first off, uh, Jim Melby uh, was a great guy, and, uh, you know, I worked with him uh, here and there. Um, he was a, uh, a wrestling writer and historian and uh, did a lot of work with the AWA, even um, he was a great guy, always willing to help. Um, and there's actually two Melby Awards. There's one in Waterloo, Iowa, at the uh, Dan Gable Hall of Fame there, the Trago Says Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. And Steve Johnson and I got that one in 2008. And it's geared towards journalism. So that's great that I've been recognized for that, and I really appreciate that, and that's hanging in my office. This one's for historian, uh, for being a historian and writing about pro wrestling. Um, and, and really celebrating history, which I love, too, because, you know, history, without documenting history, gets forgotten. And so that's been a big part, certainly, of what uh, I've been trying to do over the years. And uh, it's also a recognition to me of Slam Wrestling, which is the website I've been running for 23 years, because we've done a ton of stuff historical on there. So it's not just the books, and it's not just uh, that kind of stuff. It's everything, the culmination Right. That's where this award comes from in my mind is that uh, that I sent a guy down to, um, you know, take pictures of of, um, uh, superstar Billy Graham and painting. And uh, Andrea was my photographer, went down and shot that or whether I, you know, sent somebody to uh, a home of an old stampede 
wrestling guy out in Calgary. I mean, these things all matter in the grand scheme of things. They get built up and built up, and you get really unique experiences. So, um, yeah, no, I, it's a wonderful honor. I'm looking forward to uh, April and seeing my friends again and having a lot of fun. The Colorful Rally Club is essentially the fraternal organization of pro wrestling, and everybody needs to go at least once in their life. Do you have possibly – might be impossible. I mean, Slam Wrestling mentioned 23 years. I mean, you, and, and obviously longer fan, historian, writer, journalist, editor, producer. I mean, you do everything. But is it possible you have, like, a favorite time period in wrestling? Like you said, some of those guys are ingrained in your head, and, and those are the maybe easier storytellers to write about. But can you think of some maybe favorite time period you had in, in wrestling? Well, I think everybody goes back to what it, it, whether you're a hockey player or a hockey fan, or, or whether you're a pro wrestler. Like, you know, I, I remember finally meeting, you know, Daryl Sittler, and he was the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs when I'm growing up, and I was, like, all nervous and tongue-tied, and yet I'm a journalist talking to this guy. And so that's natural. And so for me, it, it's it's the 80s, right? The, the Hulkamania yep. ran wild on me, and those moments I've shared with those guys that I watched religiously week after week have meant more to me for sure than – you know, sure, I got to, you know, meet Dean Ambrose or talk to, you know, these guys on the phone, the more recent stars. But it's not the same as, you know, sitting down and having beers with, with Cowboy Bob Orton uh, or mm-hmm. driving Rick Martel to a um, – he was doing a signing a couple hours away. So we spent hours, you know, two hours in the car going and two hours coming back. Like, those are just magic. You know, like, it, it, like this guy's a friend of mine now. Like, wow, this is so bizarre. Uh, and so, yeah, those are the kind of things I really, really treasure. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned the the books, the Canadians, the tag teams, the heels, heroes and icons. The Benoit book, we didn't mention that. That's also out there as well. Can you kind of, would you, like, what would you recommend to fans out there that are trying to get into it? I mean, obviously, you probably would run and recommend them all. But where do you think they should start, basically, in this year? Would you have them start with storytellers, or where, where would you kind of direct the fans? Uh, well, it depends how into it all they, all they all are. I mean, Heroes and Icons is by far the biggest and the most complete of them. Um, but, like, most people love the heels. I mean, that's that was a lot of fun to write, to, to be able to talk to Harley Grace about, you know, what what makes a great bad guy? How does this work for you? Uh, is a little more interesting than uh, the good guys. Uh, but then some people love tag team wrestling, and, and we see great tag team matches now. Like, I will not deny that we don't see great tag team matches, but they don't have the same meaning as those tag teams used to, right? Again, mm-hmm. back to the 80s. I mean, the Road yep. Wars, the Killer Bees, and the the Rougeos and, and all these, the Midnight Express, like these, these were teams we really loved and wanted to see. And, um, you know, it just doesn't happen the same way today. I mean, as great as, you know, the, whatever it may be, these guys on, on TV, they just don't do it. The Usos, it's like, I don't think anybody buys tickets to buy the Usos to see the Usos. They're, they're seeing, you know, whatever's WWE's presenting. And that's a different thing. Like, the greatest match I probably ever saw was the, the Road Warriors. Uh, no, wait, hang on. It was the, the Midnight Express against Arn and Tully. And mm-hmm. it was to see that in person was incredible. And I've gotten to be tell all four members that that match meant a lot to me. Uh, again, so it, it, that's the kind of era that really meant a lot to me. And, and so I, those are the kind of things that stuck with me. And now, of course, can you give us one final pitch 
for storytellers from the terrible Turk to Twitter. <laughs> it's a it's a fascinating book. It's it's a it'd be a great present for any wrestling fan for sure. Uh, they'll learn a ton. Uh, they'll be able to relate to a ton, and they'll hopefully be prodded to be able to go out and learn more on their own and go find out more information, maybe dig up some of the, the, the archival footage that WWE hasn't hoarded away uh, and be able to see it. Um, all my books are available at, all, at oliverbooks.ca, but you can go to your local bookstore and request a book too. That's the best way to keep these bookstores in business in your local town, right? Go, yeah. Go ask them. They'll order it. They may order another copy and put it on the shelf. They might order some other books from from uh, the same publisher or the same distributor. Uh, that's the best thing you can do. Amazon is going to stay in business with or without us, but those local bookstores need our help. Now, as far as Slam Wrestling, please you know give us a plug for them as well because you've been 23 years. Such great stuff. Everything kind of you need to know about wrestling. You you guys are you know up to date. You guys know what you're obviously in a long time. You guys know what you're doing. What we're talking about, but please. Uh, talk, tell us a little bit about Slam Wrestling as well. Well, Slam grew a little bit out of the, the Sun newspaper chain, and we had uh, access to some great uh, stuff, um, you know, Bret Hart's column initially, uh, some things like that, and it just kept growing and growing to the point, you know, where he, we've interviewed just about everybody that's out there uh, and broken some big stories. In fact, even today, uh, Tony Villano announced that he's uh, getting back in the Wrestling Hall of Fame business. He started the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, which is now in Texas, but he's announced an international Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame that's going to be back in New York State. Well, he chose Slam Wrestling to break the story, which was uh, flattering. And, but, you know, you earn these privileges over the years. And because Slam's been around forever, Google likes us, uh, well-indexed, all those kind of things help too. Um, but yeah, just you can you can just Google Slam Wrestling and and there's a breadth of information there from <laughs> years and years and years. Now you mentioned OliverBooks.ca, but can you please give us you know, social media plugs or where else the fans would be able to find Mr. Greg Oliver? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on Twitter. It's Greg Mep, uh, and uh, you can just search Greg Oliver. That should come up too. Um, yeah, I, I do a little bit of Instagram, but not a lot. My my son called me a, an Instagram peasant the other day because I was so had so few likes for something I'd posted. Uh, so that's not really a big thing in my life. Uh, I'm on Facebook too. You can probably find me there. Just uh, again, it's under uh, what am I under? Greg Map. Same thing. Um, but yeah, it's, social media is important. Uh, but I miss those personal emails. Again, Slam Wrestling you used to get lots of them. People would take the time to write, but now with social media, you know, somebody may read that story and retweet it, but you never hear, right? You never hear from them mm-hmm. directly, and so there's still value in that, and I, in fact, I make an effort to, uh, if I really like a story or a book or something, I'll try to make an effort to get out and uh, contact the uh, the author or the writer and tell them what I thought. Awesome, and just as I'm turning around here in my little office, I just want to say, I'm looking at storytellers. I'm looking at heroes and icons, heels, tag teams, Canadians. I got most of your books, and then I look at a different shelf, and i just thinking of, of storytellers for a second, and I got old DVDs of Kenny versus Spenny. I'm thinking, like, that's right. Spenny is a big wrestling fan, and he loves you and loves your books. So I'm just thinking, like, wow, what a you know, what an interesting coincidence. Very cool. I love that. Yeah, that's one of those just things. I ended up hanging out with him in Kingston at, uh, at a show, and, uh, yeah, he loves pro wrestling. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so he wrote a nice little blurb for for storytellers, and it's not a name that every uh, everyone out there is going to know, but uh, he's a Canadian celebrity. It's a Canadian publisher, so mm-hmm. that's, uh, that was a big plus. And uh, yeah, he he definitely wants to keep being involved in pro wrestling. We'll see what else uh, comes down the road. Yeah, and if anybody hasn't seen Candy versus Fenny, I mean, uh, uh, you got to go out and see it. But it's an acquired taste. I will say yeah, that it's not yeah, necessary yeah. for everybody. So. Me and my brother used to watch it uh, religiously. Uh, so we, you know, and obviously I still got the, the DVDs and stuff. So we love it. We just think it's hilarious. But uh, you know, of course, please, I implore everyone out there, definitely, definitely, go out of your way to check out not only Slam Wrestling, but definitely check out the Storytellers, a part of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame series by Mr. Greg Oliver. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.